Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hello and welcome to this week's Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I have Chris from Hazelmere in Surrey and he's been sober for two years, eight months and four days (laughs) (laughs) to be precise. Um, Thank you so much Chris uh, for joining me. Please can you tell us a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, so yeah, like I said, my name's Chris. I'm 41 years old. Um, I now work as a as a life coach uh, these days. I, I retrained about a year ago, and so that's my career now. And before that, I used to work in in the media world. Um, and yeah, I live a, a very calm and serene life now in Hazelmere in Surrey, which is a stark contrast to my old life. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Sounds amazing. Yeah, love it. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, talk to me about your life with alcohol. And I, and I can imagine as well um, being in the sort of London media world that might have, uh, yeah, m- might have had a bit to do with giving up. But, yeah, please share your life with alcohol um, to build that picture for us. So, yeah, I mean, I was a classic binge drinker. So I, my pattern of drinking was uh, evenings and weekends. You know, I, I used to have this sort of alter ego, sort of party Chris. And party Chris was, you know, was everyone loved party Chris. Like, you know, he was, he was the, 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 the go-to guy, you know. And, you know, I think definitely my career at the time fed into that. You know, uh, I was working, like I said, in, in media and, you know, that world is synonymous with with drinking and alcohol and and all the rest of the stuff that goes with that and um and yeah i mean through my 20s i just partied hard i mean i used to get jobs on the fact that i could party hard and work hard like i remember oh. literally interviewing interviewing for a job once and they said oh i we we're told that you party hard and you work hard and i was like yeah and they gave me the job on the spot <laughs> like it's madness yeah and um and that kind of you know culture sort of carried on you know that said what's so interesting is I look back on it now reflectively and there were people that didn't drink but you know you gravitate towards the the ones that do you know and so I you know I got a good little pack and like I said yeah before I lived in sorry I lived in in uh, northwest Thames or Kensal Green area of London and we had a whole little pack and we just used to be out every night I'd finish work go straight out and you know then go to bed at some ridiculous hour, work the next day, and then the weekends, it was even even crazier. And that sort of carried on through my 30s, uh, you know, one broken marriage later, you know. Uh, what's, what's so difficult is I, I, I would have hoped that my divorce would have slowed me down, but if anything, it just set me even more free mm-hmm. for a couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I really carried on crazy and it was in my late 30s where the lines were blurring you know if I for some reason had a drink at lunchtime you know it was some work function or whatever I then couldn't stop in the afternoon you know once the once the first drink was had mm. that was it all bets yeah. were off 
you know. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was getting in more and more scrapes and troubles and every day waking up with that sick feeling in your stomach, not just a hangover, but the what have I done, what people have upset, you know, blackout. And, you know, it was starting to affect my work and, you know, and then it sort of came to the sort of crunch moment, really, where my, my rock bottom moment, um, which is where I knew I had to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you said that, um, that part about once you'd had a drink, it's almost like the gates were open then wasn't it? It was really the same for me as well. I knew if I had a drink at three in the afternoon, I wouldn't be able to go home and switch to tea. It just never, ever happened. It always meant, well, actually, you know, now I'm on my way home and it's 4.30, I better get two or three bottles of wine because it's quite early to sort of make sure I've got enough in the cupboard to see me through. Um, and it always used to blow my mind when people could just switch that off. I, I just, I was never like that, you know. So it just really reminded me of, of myself. It still blows my mind now, even now I'm sober. I, I, if I see people in restaurants leaving like half a glass of wine when yeah. they leave the table, my brain goes, you're mad. Why haven't you drunk that? Yeah, like, I know. Yeah, it's like fascinating species, isn't it? The people that can take it or leave it you know amazing that they can but unfortunately my brain is wired a very different way yeah <laughs> no it's it, I do look back at some of the insanity of stuff actually like I remember you know towards the end of my marriage breaking up you know my ex-wife had said to me oh you know you need to cut back on your drinking and so I actually did that hiding thing I used to hide booze in the house because I knew I wanted a drink that evening and yeah. I look back on it now and realize I couldn't not have a drink that evening and that's insanity that's just yeah. pure insanity the hiding thing yeah know? and that's when you kid yourself you don't have a problem oh, I don't yes. have a problem you're hiding booze you yeah. know, it's madness yeah it's a bit of a fine line that isn't it, it it's, it's a difficult one as well isn't it when you you get that external pressure um to stop drinking I know <laughs> excuse me in my um relationships I, drinking was an issue from time to time and I think there were two, you know, kind of, you know, fairly significant relationships where I was asked to cut down or, you know, just be more aware of my drinking. Or that basically, it just started to cause a problem. But it's very difficult, isn't it, to actually do anything when someone else is asking you to make that choice or to change your behaviour and it's not coming from inside yourself, Completely. Yeah. I, I, I don't think, and, you know, I, I said to you before we started the recording that, you know, I, I do quite a lot of work at the moment with other people who are trying to get sober. And I always, you know, no one can get sober for anyone else. You can't get sober mm. for your family. You can't get sober for your loved one. You can't get sober for you because your friends tell you to. I mean, you know, my friends many times told me that I had problems because, you know, I also, you know, eventually moved into drug world as well to sort of aid my drinking, you know, not crazy. I, you know, I don't really necessarily call myself an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I never took drugs when I was sober. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was the alcohol. Yeah. But none of, no one telling me that I needed to stop was going to make me start, even mm. though I knew I, I had to do it for myself. I, yeah. It absolutely has to be you're, you're, just, you're deciding to stop because you want to stop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. So important. So 
Um, so talk to me about what, what was the actual thing or, or, or the day that you decided, right, this is it. I've got to stop. What, what did that look like? Well, mine's quite a horrible car crash of an evening. So it was December 2019 and it was at a works Christmas party and it was carnage. I, I don't really remember half the evening. Like I literally, you know, I have snippets of memory that come and go for different sections of the night. Oddly, like the later part of the night, I remember more of the middle of the night. I don't remember anything of. But yeah, I basically was just really massively inappropriate at work with work colleagues and I got fired oh god so you know which is I look back on and it was actually you know I just even though it was such a monstrous evening I was I you know it's a real Jekyll and Hyde thing I look back at the person that night and I struggle to understand them but I know it was me but unfortunately it was a like I said Jekyll and Hyde version of me really and and so yeah I got fired and to be honest that was the last thing you know I'd like I said I'd lost my marriage and you know I'd sort of lost a lot of stuff but I managed to keep hold of my career yeah the career was done I had no that was it I was like right and I literally walked out of the meeting with HR where they told me I mean they used the classic we'll allow you to resign line I mean (laughs) you're getting fired (laughs) like you know um uh, so I walked out of that that HR meeting and a friend, really good friend, had, was waiting for me because I was in a bit of a bad place, obviously. And he said, what do you, where do you want to go? And I knew exactly where I needed to go, which was to an AA meeting. Yeah. You know, um, I'd been to AA maybe about four years previously when when my marriage split up, I went to AA. But when I realised my wife wasn't going to come back, I realised there was, I could just, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and again, I was doing, I was going to AA to try and show that I could get a handle on this thing. Yeah. And then when she didn't come back, I was like, right, well, I can go back to drinking then. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's interesting. Like I said, I, in my daytime, I was fine. And then in the evenings, it was just this party, crazy lifestyle. And, mm. and it had now cost me my job. Um, so yeah, I drew, drew a line in the sand and I, I, I went into AA, um, and I had my first sober Christmas. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, that party wow. that, that night was the last time I've had a drink. Goodness me. That's, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a big thing, isn't it? To happen. But in some ways it's like, and, and, and maybe you feel this way, but almost thank goodness that thing did happen in some ways you know, because it did get you off. <laughs> I mean, yeah, got you off the merry-go-round. I mean, that, yeah, you might not, you might not have, um, yeah. might not have done that without that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had ex-work colleagues who were quite upset with the, the people who reported me for my horrific behaviour. And I'm, it sounds really weird, but I'm really thankful for it. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm thankful that they went to HR. I'm thankful that, I was fired because yeah. my, my job was, my job was killing me. The, the alcohol was killing me. Like if I was still drinking today, chances are I'd probably be dead by now. I'd have stumbled in front of a car. I'd have said something to the wrong person. I don't know. You know, maybe I'd have started daytime drinking now because I didn't have a job. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it, mm. it, who knows where this disease and it is a disease, you know, would have taken me. So I am incredibly 
grateful for that night, even though that sounds really weird when I say that out loud, because, you know, I upset so many people and it was an awful night, but I'm, I'm, I needed to have that crash and burn to be able to almost draw the line in the sand with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally relate to that. Um, I always think as well, when I look back on some of my, you know, work more kind of my worst drinking behavior, let's say, um, well, certainly the bits that I remember because I would quite frequently black out. So, you know, a lot of my evenings on alcohol, I don't, don't really remember, which is a lot worse. Well, I don't know if it's worse or it's better because at least, you know, I don't, <laughs> don't have the memory of it. So maybe that, maybe that's a good thing, but I always think that, um, when I look back at those moments that I was a good person trapped in a bad cycle, and that, you know, like you were saying, yes, it was me, but it wasn't the real authentic me. It was me that was lost and relying on this, you know, widely celebrated substance um, that is very harmful. Um, if you if you take, certainly if you take too much of it, which, which I, you know, I did. I was, same as you, Chris, kind of a classic binge drinker, really, would never feel like waking up and, having a drink in the morning or even in the day. Um, it was just, I looked forward to kids in bed towards the end, obviously, but you know, kids in bed right now, it's my time. Let's have a bottle of wine or two on the couch and uh, just kind of zone out or let's go, let's go out and, and party really hard and go completely mental um, and be a complete clown. <laughs> I, you know, we're probably quite similar, really, in our sort of drinking styles. But yeah, I, 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 I personally look back now, and I, I actually feel um, not sorry for that version of me. I don't pity it, but I, but I, I feel much more compassionate towards her now. And if anything, I just want to give her a big hug. I just think, God, you must, have, you know, you're just so lost and. I don't know, lots of different things happened in your life, talking to myself. Um, but yeah, and, and I, I just think that alcohol numbed a lot of that. And unfortunately, in the process, it just made me act in pretty embarrassing, destructive ways. So it's, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't yeah. it? That, it, it is. I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, I start, I, I think at the beginning, my drinking was just the partying and then it was escapism. Work was so stressful. And, it, you know, I was, it really was just, crazy manic towards the end the kind of hours I was pulling and, and whatnot and so you it was absolutely alcohol became the way the only way I could switch off yeah. um you know and, and I think I've done I've had to do a lot of soul searching in my couple of years of sobriety to like you said fine remember that I was a good person yeah. back then like you know because there was there's a wave of destruction that it's what you know that and fallout from my drinking that you know continued way into my sobriety and you know, ultimately, I had to remember that I w was and am a good person. I just mm. poured a mind-altering substance into my mouth. Yeah. And and that's absolutely, you know, it is that, you know, we, we, we poison ourselves with this thing and then expect nothing crazy to happen. Well, of course, crazy things are going to happen. And, mm. you know, this is, this is the interesting thing, you know, I, I, I kind of find with, like you said, I, I do quite a lot of work with, you know, sobriety stuff now. And I, I, I volunteer on the phone lines for AA. And, you know, I speak to people who are really in the, the, 
in the dark place still and it's got a grip on them and I want to just be able to hug them I, you know yeah. they'll tell me they've done horrible things I have not no judgment for that mm. you know that's the alcohol that's that's this cycle that you're in everyone is a good person and you know yeah. a, I, in my life coaching course there was a great line which is that nobody's broke and nobody actually needs fixing and I love that because it's true nobody is broke you know it's it's just this idea that unfortunately sometimes people just need a bit of guidance to help them get their stuff together yeah Um, yeah that's right and you know and I think for a lot of people for most people um life is tough like there are a lot of things that happen there are a lot of disappointments whether that's in childhood or um going through school when you're grown up and, and you're working there's a lot of pressure you know there's there's just so much happening isn't there and then and then you know friends or relatives maybe pass away or you get disconnected and relationships don't work out and things go wrong it is understandable to see why especially when it's so encouraged and celebrated, why people fall into this alcohol trap. Because it does do a good job at the time of making you forget a lot of what's going on. Um, And then you build that persona, don't you? I know I did when I was a teenager. I got a lot of laughs when I did stupid things, um, drinking. And and I, I liked that feeling. And so I became a bit of a clown. I was always jumping on the tables, dancing, or always just was always going a step too far. Um, and and sometimes that was to get a laugh out of the group, or yeah. And and actually, then that just becomes who you are. And like you said in the the beginning, uh, which which I really connect with. You know, I I was the fun person. I was fun, Terry. Everyone was going to have a good time if I was out getting wrecked. Um, and I would probably buy everyone the drinks as well, or you know, it just it just would be, it would be crazy if I was out and I was drinking. It would be a right laugh. Um, so there is that uh, pressure in some ways. You get kind of trapped in that alter ego as well, and then that doesn't help, does it? And then if you've got an industry, which to be honest. <laughs> There are many, nearly all industries have a yeah. culture, really, don't they, at the end of the day. But I was, yeah, I was the same. I was working in sales and marketing, was, you know, clients, whining, dining, to hit your targets, let's go to the pub, um, hit your targets, here's a bottle of champagne. Everything was built around drink. So you just can't get away from it. It's <laughs> so it's just, it, it just validates that destructive journey. It, it really does. I mean, it's interesting. You, something you just said there made me think of the, the word masks and this idea of, you know, I definitely had different masks that I used to put on. And, you know, uh, like you said, the entertaining mask, I, I, you know, I was the king of the entertaining, you know, and I, I used to love it as well. But, you know, that's why, again, I think I did well at work because I could take clients out and make them feel, you know, and it was like you said, all, you know, uh, people who worked under me, I'd always be out buying all the drinks for everyone. And, you know, Christmas would always be the hampers that you'd receive with more booze. And like, yeah. it's just, yeah. it's like a, it's, it's a really interesting cultural yes. uh, thing. This and, 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 you know, we're constantly told, oh, you know, uh, it's really funny watching television now and someone's, you know, someone's having a bad day. They come home and they open a bottle of wine, you mm. know, or there's an advert telling us to go on holiday. that We can only enjoy the holiday if we're having a beer. Mm. You know, it's, it's it, it, sober life 
requires a complete rewiring of all this stuff that we're constantly being told. You know, yeah. we're constantly being told that we need to have alcohol to unwind. Mm. And, you know, and it did well. You know, when I was 16, I was really I was a real geek, you know, at school. And and alcohol did exactly what it said to did the same to you. It allowed me to be party Chris. Mm. Suddenly I was at the parties and you know, being foolish and everyone thought it was hilarious. Mm. You know, it's so it definitely for a period of time was fun. It just unfortunately I crossed the Rubicon somewhere and it stopped being fun. Yeah. And, and also, you know, not only does the fun hugely decrease over the years, but the cost massively increases as well. Doesn't it? I mean, just even by age, getting over a hangover at 35 or 40 is a million times harder than doing it when you're 18. (laughs) It's, it's a two day thing. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think the cost just becomes too high, and you don't get enough fun to justify the cost. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you got sober. So you 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 obviously you had that um, catastrophic incident with work. You walked out. You went to an AA meeting. What, what else did you do? How did you get sober? Well, it, I was. Again, a slight blessing is because I'd lost my job, I had nothing else to focus on. Like I was living alone. I didn't have a job. You know, I I had told everyone I need to get sober. So I kind of had to, you know. And so I I dove headfirst into AA. Um, I tried to book into a, a rehab clinic and... It all looked like it was going to happen, and I it was all prepped to go. Had my bag packed, was ready to go, and then it turned out my my medical insurance wouldn't cover it, um, and I didn't have a spare twenty five grand <laughs> around to, to to go into rehab. So I I did it the 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 freeway. I did it with AA. So I I, I did what's called ninety and ninety. So I did ninety meetings in ninety days. Yeah. Um, to be honest, some days I did more than one meeting a day. You know, yeah. I, I I knew I had to submerse myself in this new world. And in some ways, at the beginning, AA was a barrier between me and booze. If mm-hmm. I felt like I was going to have a drink, I went to an AA meeting. Yeah. If I felt like I was going to, you know, walk near an off license, I phoned someone from AA, you know, and it became it became a really good support network. I mean, you know, now I do not go to 90, I don't go to a meeting every day. I go once a week. So, you know, actually during the summer holidays here, because life's been busy, I've maybe been once in the last three weeks. But, you know, at the beginning, I had to properly just submerse myself in mm. it. I had to rewire my brain. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was amazing, you know, the, the fact that you can walk into a room and everybody there, has exactly the same addiction as you everybody there it has no judgment you know and if you say you've done something appalling chances are they've probably done it or worse yeah. you know so you know it's it is it's amazing and there's lots of talk in 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 sober groups you know whether it's aa or different uh, different models of that you know of, of kindred spirits and you know and, and i think that it is true i can talk to people in the fellowship in a way that I can't actually talk to any of my friends or my family, mm. you know. Yes. Just, you know, you talk to someone else who's sober and yes. it is a 
flippant conversation to anybody else. They don't ask the ridiculous questions that you get asked by people who are still drinking, you know, and it, it is, it, it's different. And, you know, I, I, you know, again, I'm not here trying to preach the AA thing, you know, however you get sober is great, whether that's, you know, on your own reading podcasts, you know, NHS services, whatever, you know, I, you know, for me, AA has been my lifeline. Yeah. Yeah. I am eternally grateful for that. It saved my life. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So describe the first hundred days. What did that look like to you? So, yeah, it was just like in this 90 and 90 world. And like, you know, it was, you know, I realised there's this great thing that you can get in AA. It's called the Just For Today card. It's like just a few short paragraphs and you read it every morning and it's Just For Today, you'll do this and Just For Today. And it's it's amazing. If anyone listening wants it, you can just Google Just For Today AA and and it comes up. And and so I sort of lived by those rules. I, I got up early. You know, I started trying to eat healthy because that's the other thing. Like, you know, in my final years of drinking, I put on so much weight because A, from the amount of sugar I was drinking, but also because I was eternally eating McDonald's breakfasts for my hangover, Domino's pizza in the evening. Like, you know, it was I I was not a healthy person. You know, uh, so actually within those first 100 days, I lost two and a half stone. You know, I started going to the gym. You know, I'd never been to the gym in my life. Right? <laughs> but, you know, I had this free time. I had no job. I was getting trying to get sober. You know, there's only so many AA meetings you could go to. So I went to the gym in the afternoon and then I got into spin classes and I started really enjoying that. And, you know, in that first 90 days, I didn't go to the pub very often. You know, you know, I, I did occasionally because I didn't. For me, it's really important that uh, I have a bridge to normal living. I, I, I it's like I, I never threw out the alcohol in my house. You know, I still have booze in my house. You know, I now have a lovely partner. She drinks. You know, when friends come over, I want to be able to offer them a drink. You know, it was important to me to not change my world too much. You know, I, I want to be able to still go clubbing. I, I want to be able to go to the pub. I want to be able to be around people that drink. So. It was more about me having to change, not the world. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was a white knuckle. And I'm not going to lie, you know, it was December the 19th I got sober. So I had like straight away Christmas. Goodness me. Which was was tough. But I went to an AA meeting on Christmas Eve. I went to an AA meeting on Christmas Day. Brilliant. And... My family were brilliant. You know, they actually didn't really drink that much that Christmas, <laughs> um, which was great. And, nice. um, and yeah, and then I sort of came out the other side of it. And I realised I wanted to, you know, I realised that the large reason why I drank was because I was lonely, mm. you know. And so I started dating again, met Emily, my wonderful now fiancé. And, you know, it sort of, uh, yeah, I, I, life started to become a bit more normal um after that 100 days you know I had a lot of craziness so um a big part of my journey is I about six months into my sobriety I was diagnosed with terminal cancer (laughs) which was quite quite a thing and what's amazing is I didn't pick up a drink when I found that out 
you know, and, you know, I then had the fallout from my last night of drinking, like six months later, I found out I was going to get prosecuted for that last, that night. Did I go and have a drink? No. You know, I, I had this toolkit that I'd never had before, which was sober life. And I could cope with things without having to pick up a drink to cope with it. Yeah. And it's absolutely amazing. You know, there's a serenity that I have now. Um, And like I said, you know, after I, so I'm I'm doing really well with the, I'm still having treatment for the cancer. It's been two years now, but um, my tumors have gone. Uh, uh, The doctors just can't sort of get over uh, where I, where I, how bad it was to where I am now. Wow. But I, I also believe, again, you know, what we were saying earlier, that last night of drinking and the fallout from it saved my life. Not only because I think the drink would have killed me, but I was working in such a toxic lifestyle, I didn't realise how sick I was. Mm. I'd had a, I had a cough and a cold for like a year, and I just thought it was a Colombian cold and that I was drinking too much, you know, it was, mm-hmm. and actually it turned out that I had a huge tumour in my lung. <laughs> like, oh. and, and, and so actually, if I hadn't have drawn the line in the sand or had it drawn for me yes. in some ways, I would probably be dead today, you know. Yeah. Oh, Chris, that's, that's, that's a lot to take in. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not even sure what to really say there. That's that's the first for me. Um, wow, I'm yeah, I feel a bit emotional actually, which is a bit strange. But yeah, I, I'm I'm listening to your story. Um, it's just it's just so wonderful that you're here and that you're healthy. And isn't that amazing as well that you um, had those really bad tumors and that they have gone away. Do you think a lot of that is to do with taking all that alcohol away and all that toxicity? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely think if I hadn't have had the sort of six months of clean living before I started treatment, yeah. I don't know how because it was punishing. You know, I was very lucky; I didn't have chemo. I, I uh, my main treatment had a, a couple of big surgical operations, and I also had um, immunotherapy. I'm still having immunotherapy, which is a a wonder drug it's like you know it's just amazing um but you know it's punishing on the body and Mm. you know luckily I was clean and sober and healthy and had lost a load of weight and so uh, you know I I think I I was at a a good place to get fit but not trying to sound too spiritual about all this I, I do also think my frame of mind helped me through Mm. those crazy two years and they were crazy you know I I mean the the comedy timing the same day that I uh found out I had the tumors was the same day that I was told by the police I was going to get prosecuted like I mean it's you couldn't get the timing more comical really you know but all I all I could hear in my head was um the serenity prayer you know grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. There was nothing I could do. I, there's nothing I, I can't change the fact I was sick in the, in the same way that I can't change the fact that I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. You know, the fact that I can't change so many things in life. The only thing I can do anything about is my attitude towards it, yeah. you know, and it's that acceptance really 
which is the key to everything. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had an amazing support network uh, around me when I was poorly, you know, Emily, my partner, my family, old work colleagues, my friends, just everyone rallied uh, at what was a very dark time. But I just got through it like everyone does. Like, you know, it's it's an interesting thing that all of this stuff is that everybody's going through this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. the amount of people who are battling with some form of addiction, the amount of people who are battling with cancer, you know, we have all this stuff and we just have to soldier on. Yeah. Like, you know, I, 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 I read a lot about stoicism uh, yeah. and I, I'm a very big stoic person, really. And I think... I actually think stoicism is sort of the, the the primary basis of AA, really, you know, acceptance and, and carrying on. Um, so, yeah, but it's it's amazing, really. Again, you know, my, my life today, you know, two years, seven months, whatever it is, da-da-da, later, is so much better. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what's crazy is I, I feel like, it's a great quote, isn't it? Um, all the stuff you thought was drowning you was just teaching you to swim. Yeah. I love that because it's yeah. true. Like, that's it. I, I needed to go through the craziness to yeah. now the lifestyle I lead. You know, I'm not in that industry anymore. I've retrained. You know, I, you know, I used to have, a, and I don't know, this is not a bragging, but I used to earn really good money in my old world. Now I earn hardly anything, but I'm the happiest I've ever been. Yeah. You know, like it's it's a strange thing. Like my life has just become smaller. Yeah. And I'm happier for it. Oh, that's so lovely. I, I, <laughs> I, it is, it is. It's, it's, who knew that it would be so good? Life would be so good by stopping drinking. It, it's, it, it is, it blows my mind. It really does. I... Yeah, it blows my mind. And I, when, when people reach out to me and they say, oh, I, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm frightened or how do I do it? Or, you know, looking for a nudge or a bit of guidance or just someone to offload to, I think, as well, a, a lot of the time. I just want to be able to just sort of just send them a, a, a flash of, just the happiness that you find and it's in yourself as well like you you know I think when you were talking there it's almost like you say you don't you don't need to pick up a drink and I was thinking that that's how I feel when when difficult things crop up um to to be fair nothing as as difficult has happened to me um might be around the corner who knows but I just feel like I can deal with things now. I've I've got everything I need inside of me. I've got the tools. My mind is clear. My conscience is clear. Um, I love myself now in a way that I've never loved myself before. Um, and it's just like, yeah, I, I just, I, I had a, a really nice quote on a podcast the other day by a lady and she was saying, I love myself too much to drink again. I thought, God, that's so simple, but it's so true, isn't it? I just, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. So, I mean, it feels a bit of a hard question now asking you what's the hardest part um, of getting sober because, you know, it it, it sounds like it was really less than straightforward for you with, with those things that have happened on your journey, but... 
yeah, I don't know if is if there if there is something that you think was very difficult yeah. for you. I think it's I think that the, one of the hardest things at the beginning was this idea of is this for the rest of my life? You know, and that was very, you know, which is why in you know everybody who's getting sober there's this whole just for today you know live in the day just today you don't need to have a drink don't worry about next week don't worry about next month and at first I couldn't understand why that was being drilled into me and then the fear came I was about a month in you know the first month I was like yeah oh god this is amazing hangover free guilt-free you know and you know I was being fit and and then this dawning realization occurred to me which was the oh my god is this for the rest of my life you know like and and so I think that's the hardest thing is, is having to put that out of your head. You know, people are always asking me, you know, my, my best friends who I love, you know, some of them just still say, oh, do you, so do you think this is you're not going to ever have a drink? Mm. You know? and, I, and my answer is always the same. It's like, I haven't had one today and hopefully I'm not going to have one tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I also think we put such pressure on, the the thing and you know I've seen people with 20 years sobriety relapse you know and and the the shame and guilt that they then suffer and the worries about whether they can go back to AA or whether worry about telling people you know and you know we're only human it's practice not perfection and so you know god forbid if I ever slip up I hope I'll just get back on the horse yeah like it's it's got to be Today, I, today I'm not going to have a drink, you know. And I use lots of, you know, I, use, I, I, you know, I've got lots of tool kits, things that I use now. Like I have those sober apps, so every day I punch in. Today I will not have a drink, and it's it's a great reminder of a how many days I've been sober, but also how much money I've saved, mm. you know. And there's like great AA apps, so I every day I spend sort of 15 minutes at the beginning of the day reading some AA literature or sober literature or listening to a podcast or. You know, I, I, I follow lots of sobriety stuff on Instagram because I, I need to be constantly reminded that I have a problem mm-hmm. because my brain will love to tell me that I do not have a problem. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, you only have to, to not do some sort of sober lifestyle stuff for like a week and that thing's in the back of your brain going, maybe it's been long enough now. And then luckily the other side of my brain goes, no, you know what's <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's, that's the most difficult and hardest part is realizing that, you know, I can rewire my brain to a certain point, but I will never be recovered. I will always be in recovery, you know, uh, and that, you know, that's that phrase, isn't it? You know, I'm a recovering alcoholic, yeah. you know, you don't say I have recovered because I never will. I'm always going to have this. I mean, you know, I, I see it in so many other walks of life, like a hobby recently, because I realised I didn't have any hobbies, and I just went full-on alcoholic brain into it. I brought all the gear. I was reading every night about it. I was on different websites. You know, I ha- my brain has this thing where it's all or nothing. Like, yeah. it's all or nothing. And yeah. I have to laugh at it. I have to go, yep, that's my alcoholic brain. You know, and in some ways that was probably why I was good at my career because it was all or nothing, you know. Mm. But actually, I've had to learn boundaries. I've had to learn to be able to step away, you know. And I am still 
learning every day how to tackle parts of this disease that I have. Mm. You know, I'd love to say I'm better at meditating. I'm still struggling with meditation. I, you know, how many courses I've done? Like I just, you yeah. know, but that's the next thing. I feel nicotine. You know, I've, I've given up alcohol. I've given up drugs. Nicotine, I still find a bit of a problem with. You know, yeah. and but you know, nicotine's never made me wake up in a room that I don't know where I am. You know, so right now, it's the lesser of evils. Yes. You know, yeah. Uh, and yeah, they go hand like, in hand, don't they, those things? I think for, I, I smoked as well for 25 years, um, which is such a huge amount. I mean, that's that's more than half my life. It blows my mind, really. But um, but I, I did, I, I was vaping towards the end and I stopped drinking. And then four months into stopping drinking, I, I, I did tackle the nicotine but it was very very I think it was harder than than stopping drinking personally because I could vape at my desk all day so I'd be I would unless I was on a video call with work I would just be chuffing this vape cigarette all day imagine the amount of nicotine you're putting into your body so by the time it came to stop I, I just was in a state um, I actually yeah. did it when I went on holiday. I, I went to Cyprus for a week and I thought, um, you know, in this very, because I'm very similar, all or nothing as well. And, and I think a lot of people that I talk to have this all or nothing thing. But yeah, I, I decided, right, that's it. I'm just not going to smoke on holiday. I'm, I'm You know, I'm going to be in a different environment. I'm not going to be at my desk all day. It's the time to to quit. And some people might think that was crazy because you're on holiday and why would you ruin your holiday? But for me, I just thought I just need to do this. And I actually did do it, but it was three weeks of white knuckling it for sure. And it, it, it was actually okay on holiday, but when I got back, I did still really crave it for a couple of weeks. And then bizarrely, it did just all drop away. So um yeah, I never like to push my advice on people, but I would say my my thing is if you can, if you really want to go for it, try and get to three weeks and see. <laughs> Because it did just stop. The cravings just sort of seemed to stop. So, but it was hard. In the same way with alcohol, it takes so long for this stuff to actually get out of your system. So you yes, need yeah. But yeah, no, that's the uh, the next the next. It's tricky, isn't it? Yeah, nicotine. I, I managed it for six months, and then you know was back on it again but anyway that's the next yeah. the next hurdle the next uh, hurdle that's it you got to do you can't do it all at once can you you got to exactly. got to take your time with these things um so what's been the best bit of sobriety for you what's been the biggest gain um i mean to be honest i i, I struggle to put it to one thing like you know I, I, there's just the list is sort of endless like yeah. I, I i think time Time is probably the biggest one. You know, I've got an extra three hours in the morning. I wake up at 5.30 in the morning most days, sit, read. You know, I'm up before my sun's up. You know, uh, I'm up before the sun is up (laughs) some of the time. You know, like it's so. And then also in the evenings, you know, I'm not relying on this alcohol to, to numb me or send me to sleep or whatever. So if I need to work in the evenings, I can work. If I want to go out I, I can I, I've just got more time more time with my son my relationship with my son you know when I was drinking you know like I'm divorced and so I'd get him every other weekend and you know it'd be lovely but 
you know, I'd be one eye thinking, oh, what time is he, you know, what time am I getting him home so that I can then have a drink or, you know, or I'd be thinking about work. Now I give him dedicated, perfect time. And, and that's priceless. And the same with Emily, my other half, you know, I now have a life where I, I sit down and have dinner with her every night. You know, my old life, I would be working or I'd be gone to the power board or whatever. You know, I, I just have so much more time to do nice things and and I have so much more serenity because of that extra time Mm. so you know I think like I said the list could go on and on of all the great things you know waking up hangover free is is the best thing ever and waking up regret free you know I towards the end I woke up every morning worried about the night before Mm. and I don't have that anymore you know it's it's bliss. I had um, I did a post about it on Instagram the other day. I had this Sunday a couple of weeks ago where I woke up at about 6 a.m., a little bit later than normal, and the sun was flooding in. The cat was on the end of the bed. Emily was asleep next to me. And I just sat and I just was just had this wave of gratitude of like just genuinely how great it is to wake up like that on a Sunday morning. Oh, isn't it amazing when you wake up like that on a Sunday? This is something about Sunday, I think um yeah and it's just super sober Sunday (laughs) it's lovely um it's so funny as well when you were saying there about um time I I, so many people seem to uh turn to drink for that relaxation and stress management I think especially when you get more into your 30s 40s and Mm. 50s I'm not there yet but um yeah because you know work is busy and stressful and family life is busy and stressful and but actually just by gaining all that time back to to just sit quietly or pursue the things that you've been putting off forever or reading or watching the sunrise or just just having all that extra time is so stress relieving it's really weird it's such a simple thing just putting down the drink and getting that time back. But I just wish there was a way that we could sort of tell people that are drinking to relieve stress that actually they're probably really stressed also because they don't have any time to do anything. And actually if they could not um, have the drinks and gain that time back, how would they use it? They'd probably do a lot more things that were more self-fulfilling. Yeah. And it's just it's just an interesting yeah, I hadn't really thought about that before, but it was just when you were talking about that. It's definitely a cycle. You know? Yes. You work too much, you know, you're tired, kids are crazy, you put them to bed, have a drink to unwind, then you wake up the next day feeling a bit rough, a bit more tired, you know, then you probably eat worse, then you work harder, and then, you know, it's just this yeah, cycle. And as soon as you break that, it's, it's, you know, the pluses for me, completely outweigh you know all all the plus sides of being sober outweigh all the plus sides of drinking hands down but yet culturally we have been told that we have to have a drink yeah you know and it's it's quite interesting you know but I do hope the tables are turning you know I think you know podcasts like this one you know there's a there's a lot more rhetoric out there being pushed of sober life and hopefully the stigmatism of sober life will will start to drop. I mean, that's one of the things that's so crazy is that 
Alcoholics Anonymous is called Alcoholics Anonymous because people go there quietly and don't want anyone to know that they're an alcoholic. But it, it, there's also this weird stigmatism just about sober life in general. You know, like, you know, you go to the, you go to a party and someone says, what would you like to drink? And you just say, oh, uh, you know, I have a Coke or whatever. And the, the first question nearly always is, oh, you're not having a drink. Yeah. Why are you drinking? <laughs> Why is that the first question? Yeah. You know, because society has normalised drinking to a to a crazy level yeah that's right and also I think what is um this sort of sobriety wave that I think we're in at the moment I think it's so refreshing because there isn't just alcoholics and responsible drinkers in the world but Mm. that's what we've been led to believe you've either got a massive problem or you yeah. can totally manage your alcohol and take it or leave it. And there is this, I mean, I, I identify as the grey area drinker and the grey mm. zone. Uh, and, and that is a massive zone. And I, I wish so much that we could get proper figures and proper data. Because I know when I was drinking, I was not telling my doctor how much I was really drinking. <laughs> I never was. Um, and I just think, well, if I wasn't, well, then neither is... Pam or Claire or John or you know whoever um I just think that 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 sort of gray zone it all all alcoholics as well because I think you're right there is so much shame that's felt about that whole kind of finger pointing well you've obviously got a problem but I know very 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 few people um around me that can take or leave a drink I know a lot more people and I'm not labeling anybody um because I wouldn't do that but I'm just I know a lot more people that drink a lot more outside of that I can take it or leave it or just have a sherry twice a year type drinking so yeah it's I I do think the tables are are turning I do think there is a shift which is Which is I think that, that grey area, like you said, is is the really interesting one. And, and again, it's because there's no label for it. And, you know, all my friends and, you know, again, I'm not totally, I'm not putting them out here, but they've all questioned with me about how much they drink because, you know, then that it's made them think. And also the term alcoholic, people just assume is someone who sits on a park bench drinking yeah. out of a paper bag, you know, and, yeah. you know, it, it's not for me to ever tell anyone else that they're an alcoholic, you know, and I, I think a lot of people suddenly are in that gray area. They're, they're, they're not alcoholics, but unfortunately they have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol yeah. and that unhealthy relationship with alcohol needs to be addressed, you know, and it's hard. Society has made it incredibly hard to address it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, um, the picture of, uh, a CEO standing up in front of a few hundred employees is easily could be an alcoholic, but we don't see that. We don't accept that that, you know, alcoholic or alcohol addiction or problematic relationship or gray area drinker, whatever those labels are. um, We just, yeah. And I think one of the things as well that is quite nice in, in this wave this shift that's happening is there's more focus on look if you are not happy with your drinking whatever that looks like however frequent or however much 
It does not matter. Those things don't matter. How you feel about your drinking is what's important. And if you don't feel great about your drinking, even if that drinking is once a month, then you can look at your relationship with alcohol. You don't have to have a, a, a big problem or a rock bottom or a, you know, and that's sort of the message I also try to, to, to get out there as well, because there's still that, um, that feeling of people say, how much did you drink though, Terry? You know, because they want to compare their quantity with my quantity to see if they should. And I always say like, doesn't really matter. I, you know, I drank more, sometimes and less in other times it for me it just I felt depressed after I drank I felt anxious I felt embarrassed I felt ashamed I felt like I didn't want to keep drinking in this way but I felt you know and that's the thing that's important I think is how it makes you feel completely um so yeah what are your um top three tips on getting or staying sober well, I, I like the fact I wrote I wrote down three, but then both of them, two of them have got slashes, so they're actually technically five. But anyway, I, I'm going to try and put it down to three. You know, classic alcoholic, all or nothing again. Um, so my top three is is a network. You know, and don't do it alone. Like we, it's so hard to do this alone. So whether that network is you know, an online support group or, you know, reaching out to people on Instagram or AA or, you know, NHS-led programs, whatever that is, get the help because you can't do it on your own. You, if, you, if you could do it on your own, you'd have done it already. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's that's the reality. You know, it's it's a bit like when people come through the door of AA and they always say to me, I, 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 you know, I don't think I have that much problem with drinking. And it's like, well, you've walked through the door of AA, so you obviously have enough of a problem, you know. Yeah. We can't do it on our own. Like, we can't. So, you know, I think network for me is is a big one. Um, my second top tip is surrender. You know, you just have to surrender and acceptance is the key. You know, if you're trying to fight it, if you're trying to, justify if you're trying to whatever it's not you just have to surrender you have you know you, you you just have to go with it and it's the sort of the same with everything in life and I, I do this a lot with my life coaching clients that if you're swimming against the tide you're going to be restless irritable and discontent you know it's it's when you let go and you go with the flow then things become easier and and that's really the thing when you when you come to the realization that you you can't really drink anymore and you just go with the flow, surrender to it, life becomes a lot easier. So yeah, surrender is my second one. And then my third one is 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 a program or a or a routine. You know, I, I think routine and program is a is a big one for me. Um and that's just my own personal thing. But you know, I I, I like to have a, a a system in place. I, you know, like I said, I have certain meetings that I go to, I try and keep a bit of a structure to my life because that allows me it's like a it's like a life jacket I know that if I have that structure and that routine and that program then I can control certain areas of my life because the other areas I am not in control of at all you know like I, like I wasn't in control of the cancer like I'm not in control of my alcoholism but if I control that I get up at this time if I am good if I do the honest right thing every day um, then I then I have a nice life. So yeah. those are my three, which were technically five, I think. Oh, <laughs> I love that. 
I, I love the life jacket analogy. I think that's really, really nice. Um, yeah, I think they're excellent. So important to have a network. So important to have the people around you. Just, just even the, just to get the validation that you're not alone, and that actually there are millions of people out there that are suffering just like you. Because I don't know about you, but I really felt like I was on my own. In, in in my head I, I tried to talk to a few friends in my 20s and I'd say oh, I'm feeling I didn't realize it was anxiety at the time that I was feeling like that post binging anxiety but I would sort of say oh, I feel so bad and I feel like I need to stop drinking and they would just say no you're being ridiculous don't be so over the top and you know it, they just didn't understand and so that just kind of made me like further pushed me down into the dark well a bit really I suppose um, so finding people that resonate with your story or you resonate with them and that you can reach out to and talk to, I, I think that is, like you say, sober people get sober people as well. And I think there is such a mutual appreciation in those connections because we just understand really deeply the journey that each other's been through. You know, it's not easy getting sober is fantastic when you get through most of the hard work and stuff but you know you like you say like sometimes you know you never really feel like you're through it and even for me um three and a half years in I still listen to two or three podcasts every week I just I just love it to be honest I love the self-development and education side of it but yeah I think I think that's really really crucial and that surrender and acceptance piece is so vital I think that's that's the last bit to click I think isn't it before people jump in to um, sobriety is just that acceptance that for me it was like I I had to accept that I couldn't moderate (laughs) it was never going to happen for me (laughs) yeah Right, I tried um, and for 10 years and yeah, I just, I realized that that wasn't going to happen. And I love that as well. That's what a routine and program, I, 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 yeah, I've never really thought about it, but it is a routine, isn't it? It is getting up, you know, for me, I, I got up every day. I read a bit of my book. I journaled. I listened to a podcast. I did that. I went for a walk and I did those things religiously without realizing but similar like for you I did those for sort of three months six months I did those things every single day I I created my own routine uh, and I think that's really yeah super helpful so fab so if you're open uh, to people following your journey um please can you share how we can find you yeah so I'm, I'm on Instagram I'm Chris the coach underscore uh, and my website's just uh, christhecoach.co.uk. Um, so yeah, give, give me a follow, and I, I, I try and put a bit of sober stuff out there, a bit of life coaching stuff. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun to connect with other people who are going through this sober journey. Absolutely agree. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Chris. It's been really, really lovely chatting with you and i wish you all the very best and stay in touch thanks for having me on it's been brilliant uh thanks and thanks everyone see you next week thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you're interested in being a guest please contact me directly on instagram by sending a message to at sassy sober mum You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. 
If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.